lined up for God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I know it's not Christmas time, but Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." She shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and your mercy that you've bestowed on us so richly. We're so undeserving. I pray, God, today, Lord, as we look to your word, that you'd help us. I know many things are maybe focused on our mind as we think about our activities after this, what we may eat, where we may go. But for these next moments, God, may we be focused on your word, especially I ask the men of this room and those who may be listening to focus on the importance of Father's Day. Oh, how we need more good men today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's ever been a time when Father's Day, when good fathers are needed on Father's Day, I'd say it'd be today. There's many problems we could spend the next hours and hours talking about the problems of government, we're talking about the problems of education, we can talk about the problems of society in general. But most importantly, if there is a problem, and there's many problems in the world, especially in America, and I'm sure it's, 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 it's worldwide, there's a problem we have with godly men. We need godly men. We need more than just a few good men. There used to be a commercial, I forget what branch of the military it was, we need a few good men. We need a whole lot of good men. If there's one area where the church is struggling, it is in the area of good, godly men. It is the truth. It's the truth. It starts with us. See, man has to be a unique type of person. He has to be both tough and tender. He has to be a strange combination somewhere between William Wallace and Winnie the Pooh. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger and Kermit the Frog. He's got to be both. He's got to be tough and tender. If you are too tough, too firm, your family will live in a fear of your authority. But if you're too weak, your family will run over you. And men... It is God-ordained, whether you like it or not, to be the head of the home. Not according to Marty Moon, but according to the Word of God. You and I, as, the, as, as representatives of the home, 
are the ones who will be most responsible for the direction of our home. When we stand before God one day and we will all stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian, the white throne judgment if you're not saved, but I believe most of us in this room are believers, we will not give an account of our sins, but we will give an account of our activities. And one of those activities is men, how we led our home. How are you leading your home? Well, see, Jesus was both tough and, ten, tough and tender. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, Jesus said, If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee, for it is, more, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy brother, members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast in hell. That's pretty tough. But also the Bible says Jesus wept. He was tough, and he was tender. Jesus twice, twice took a whip and drove the people out of the temple, the money changers. He was zealous for righteousness to the place where he drove them out. You mean loving and sweet Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple? Yes, because his house was a, a place of prayer, not a place of profit. But that same Jesus who drove the money changers out of his house twice also died on that old rugged tree and shed his blood so that you and I could have salvation forever and ever and ever. So he is both tough and tender. And men, you and I must be the same. Dr. Doug Weiss, who is the author of the Bible study that we've been enjoying these last several months, said, he said, your job, men, is to protect and, and to disciple, to care for and to provide. It is not to be liked. If your goal is always to be liked, you will fail. Can I repeat that? If your job as a man, as a father, is to be liked, you will fail. There are many times as a man, there's many times as a father, you have to say no. When you don't want to say no. But it's not what makes others in your family happy. It is what is best. Even when they cannot, will not, may never understand it. You are the leader of your home. So on, on, on Mother's Day, I preached on the life of Mary. So on Father's Day, I decided to preach on Joseph, not on the old, in the Old Testament, though we preached on him many times and probably will in the future. We're going to preach on the man Joseph in the New Testament. You see, if, if Mary is overemphasized at Christmas, then show, probably Joseph, the legal father of Jesus, is neglected at Christmas. Through his name, though his name means adding, many times he's subtracted from the Christmas story. One of the reasons I, is because he does not say one word throughout scriptures. And he really doesn't have to because he is such a man, such a godly man. So what can we learn about this man named Joseph? First of all, he was a man of spiritual conviction. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, Then Joseph, then Joseph her husband, being a just man. That word just means he was righteous. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, And for therein is righteous of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. The righteous, the people who are trying to do right, 
That is you and I as characterized by believers. You and I are called the just, the people who seek after righteousness, the one who want to live righteously. We live by faith. The Bible actually says without faith it's impossible to please God. We are supposed to be men of faith for too long. Men, we have delegated spirituality to the women in the homes and in the churches. We've said, ladies, you do the spiritual stuff. You do the praying for the children. You do the education for the, for the kids, for the children. And you have the right to delegate that. But men, remember, when you stand before God, you will be responsible for your education and the up, spiritual upbringing of the kids. It is not the church's responsibility to spiritually educate you. It is the father and mother's responsibility. We come alongside the church, and we help in doing that. Praise God, we do. But primarily, it's the father and the mother's responsibility to spiritually, physically, spiritually educate the child. The Bible says in Acts chapter 24, verse 15, we have hope towards God, which they themselves also allow that there should be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. The just, which is the saved, and the unjust, which is the unsaved. And I mentioned that in the two different judgments. So the word just implies that he was saved. Secondly, the word just indicates that he was sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. Every time I come to church, I try to sanctify the pins that I wear in my pocket. I wear this pin right here in honor of that man right there. The first time I came to preach at this church, May 20, 29th, 2019, he gave me this pin. I sanctify it. I got lots of pins in my pocket, uh, in my drawer, in my home, as my wife could tell you. I got, got too many pins. But I sanctify this pin because it's special to me because it was the first gift given to me by North Gainesville Baptist Church. Now, I've, I've, I've misused this pin. I put it through the wash too many times. I've damaged this pin, but thank God she keeps still working and I still put it in my pocket. I sanctify it. It's special. Men, we're just supposed to be special. We're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be like those folks out there in the world. The characteristics of the people in the world who drink, party, carouse, we're not supposed to be like them. We're supposed to be different. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're different now. The things you used to do, you don't do them anymore. You stay away from stuff that's going to damage you and hurt your family. But your, your main two jobs, remember, as a dad, is to protect your family and provide your family. And if anything, outside family, friends, hobbies, habits could damage you providing for your family and protecting you from your family, you need to stop it. It is an alarming statistic, but 70% of men use pornography on a regular basis. If you're doing that, dear friend, it's an addiction. By the grace of God, and sometimes it's only by the grace of God, you need to stop it because you're damaging your family. It may be something else, alcohol, some other area, spending money on things, frivolous things that you don't need. I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. But we must protect and provide for the family. 
sanctified, means set apart. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house there are only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. Now today you're going to sanctify maybe the right type of restaurant. You're going to pick one out, arrest the brother and the other. Or you may sanctify a meal. You may set apart some, a good cut of meat or a certain vegetable or a certain type of fruit that you're going to have, especially for this Father Day. You set it apart. When I think about sanctification or think about somebody who was set apart, I think about that Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 10? Remember there was a man who went up from Jerusalem down to Jericho? It's about 3,000 uh, uh, feet in difference between Jerusalem to Jer Jericho and only 17 miles of distance. So he went down to Jericho on the Jericho road, which was filled with thieves. This man went down. He was stole. He, they beat him up. They stole everything he, he had. They left him, left him naked. And there, these two holy men, first the, the, the priest comes by and looks at him just for just to just sees him and sees doesn't want to get involved in it and he walks on the other side of the road then the bible says the levite actually looks at the man goes on the other side of the road but then there's a good samaritan a samaritan was a mix between a jew and an assyrian it was a mixed breed and the jews and the gentiles hated the hated the samaritans because he was different from them but this samaritan person Samaritan man saw this man. He, he, he poured oil into his wounds. He helped him. He healed him. He got him to the hotel. He got him to the inn. He paid for his, his, his stay. And if there be any other wages or payment need to be paid, he, when he came back, he would take care of him. This good Samaritan was a man of spiritual conviction because he saw what needed to be done, and he did it. And God help us. We need more men who see the need and fill it. Quit giving other people say, well, I can't because of my past. That's just an excuse. I can't because of my parents, or I can't because of my whatever. No, men, quit giving excuses and live for God. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Paul said it. And the same God that strengthened Paul is the same God that can strengthen you. It's the same God. Joseph was a man of spiritual conviction, but secondly, he was a man of strong character. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. It says, before they came together, she was found with child. Now imagine that. Engagement was a little bit different. They used the word espoused. In those days, like not different from our days, they didn't just, you know, get engaged, you know, for six months or a year, and they both live in separate houses, then they get together. There was usually a period of a year to two years or three years, and the woman would stay, the lady would stay at the house where the men would go out and prepare a house for the lady, for the family. He was typically some 5 to 10 to 15 years older than the young lady. Mary, as we believe, was a teenager. Joseph was probably in his mid-20s, maybe even close to 30 at this, at this time. And he would go from again for a year or two. Now, when they actually, the two families came together, and that's what they did in those days, and some places, some cultures do that even today, they agree years ahead of time that my daughter is going to marry your, your son. And there's a certain time where they have an, a, an engagement period, a, a spousal period, and in that moment, they're technically married. They're technically married. 
though they have not come together to produce children. They're technically married. So imagine Mary comes to Joseph and says to Joseph, I am with child. Man, what would you, how would you respond? First thing in your mind is going to be what? Who was he? And then, Mary, and then Mary says, it was the Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah, okay. God, God, God said, God, God came and I'm going to have a child. It's not going to be by you, Joseph. It's going to be of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's, that's, that's never happened in the history of the world, and it will never happen in the history of the world from this on out. It's unique in the history of the world. So what does Joseph do with that, that amazing news? Well, he had two choices. He could make her a public example. If you read the law, she, remember, is technically married, and if she is, if she is with child, she has committed adultery. He could actually make her a public example in the law. She could be publicly stoned to death. That's what the law says. Or, as he was choosing to do, he was going to put her away, divorce her, put her away, privately divorce her privately instead of making her example instead of taking her life he loved her so much he said no this is not the i'm not gonna you know this i can't imagine this she must have committed adultery and the pain the sorrow and the hurt that he must felt i mean think about the human just the humanness of this and having this woman that you're engaged to preparing to marry you're working hard you're preparing a house and she comes to you and says hey i'm a child and you think automatically of some other man. You must be devastated. Your life is going to change. What are your family going to say to you? Your reputation has been destroyed forever. But he doesn't choose to do the hard thing. He chooses to do the tender thing and put her away privately. Don't make her a public example. I'm not going to take her life. I love her. What does he do? Notice what he says. Notice what he says. But while he thought on these things. See, he was a man of action, but he was a man who was thinking about something. He was thoughtful. It's an old saying, fools rush in. You see, friend, when we, when we get ready to make a big decision, this is the biggest decision of his entire life. And, men, you're going to make some big decisions in life, who you marry, your children, how many children, where are you going to live. You need to be guided not by the whims of the world or opinions of your friends or family. You first must be guided by the word of God. What does the Bible say? Then seek wise counsel. There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors, good and godly men and women. And thirdly, the witness of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the peace which passeth understanding, do not do it. Seek the peace of God, the word of God, the wisdom of, from God, and the witness of the Spirit. Sometimes we just do what we do because we feel it. We want to. We get peer pressure. Other men want us to do something. Say, oh, come on, I did it. You can do it that way. No. How many a man has gone down the wrong way but he went down the wrong way because he chose to, chose to go the wrong path? His doubts he possessed, the dilemma he faced, the dream that he gave. Look at verse 20. Through 24, the Bible says, While he thought of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Ghost. What did he do? He listened to God. 
He actually got this angelic vision from God, and he listened and he obeyed. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. What does the Bible say? I must ask God for wisdom on a regular basis to make the right decisions in life. It's key. I was thinking this week about a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was born on February the 4th, 1906 in, in Germany. It's now, this place is called Proklaub, Poland. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor, a theologian, a prominent figure in Germany. He was a godly man. When Nazism rugged, raised his ugly head, instead of going with it, going with the flow, which would have been easy to do, because about half the Protestant churches went along with what was going on with Hitler, being intimidated, being afraid, being scared. And it was easy just to go along with the flow. But instead of going along with the flow with society, which is so easy to do because you don't want to make any ripples, you don't make any trouble, he decided to stand up and say what, what Hitler was doing and Nazism was wrong. And he stood up and, and he helped the other Jews leave the country. He helped those who were persecuted. He helped those who were hurting, loving, preaching, helping, guiding, being a pastor to men who were going through the most difficult times in their life. Ultimately, he was arrested in 1943. And on April the 9th, 1945, just before, just a few weeks before the end of the Second World War, Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazis at Flosenbach concentration camp. He stood out and did that was right. He had character. Character is who you are when no one else is watching. It'd been easy for Bonhoeffer to say, you know what, I'm going to go with the flow. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get in danger. I don't want to cause any trouble. But he stood up and he did that was right. You see, Joseph was a man of spiritual conviction. Joseph was a man of strong character. But thirdly, this morning, Joseph was a man of simple courage. First of all, he made a decision. The Bible says, as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, without fear or hesitancy. He was much like his namesake in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? Oh, that boy had the coat of many colors. He was a favorite of his, of his father, the favorite son of his father's, and he went to find them as his father instructed, and, and they were older men and jealous men, and because they knew he was favorite of his father, they saw him, and instead of loving him and helping him and feeding him and encouraging him and being a, an older brother and a good sibling, they threw him in a pit. Ooh, that's the way you treat your siblings. Throw him in a pit. And the, the Egyptians finally came and paid for him and, took him down to Egypt, and he was put in Potiphar's house. And there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife spied on him. And day by day, she tempted him to have a relationship with her. But the, as the old saying goes, he lost his coat, but he kept his character. And dear man, I'm going to tell you today, you can stay away from evil. You can stay away from adultery. You can stay away from sin, but you must choose God over sin. You must choose righteousness over unrighteousness. May I give you some help in this area? Whenever you think about doing something that's going to affect you, think about, secondly, how's it going to affect your family? 
if I get in a relationship with this one young woman, if I watch this TV program, if I get involved in this hobby, if I get involved with this, how's it going to affect me? But not only that, how's it going to affect my family? How's it going to affect my wife? How's it going to affect my, my daughter? How's it going to affect my son? How's it going to affect my family? You see, folks, you and I cannot sin in a vacuum or on an island. Everything you do and I do affects everybody around you. And what did Joseph say? Oh, I don't want to offend Pharaoh. I don't want to offend Pharaoh's wife. He said, how can I do this wickedness and sin against the Lord? You see, he knew it was wrong. And he couldn't do it because he didn't want to sin against him who blessed him and helped him and provided for him and protected him all these years. And because Joseph chose to do right, God's hand of protection and power and providence was on his life. And Joseph, God, Joseph, God, God bless Joseph. But because Joseph chose to do right, he was thrown into the prison. And men, sometimes you're going to choose to do right and bad things are going to happen to you. You're going to stand up at work and say sometimes, you know what, I'm not going to do this. Everybody in the whole, or your whole workplace may choose to do wrong, but you have to stand up and stay, say, I'm, I'm not going to do this. You may lose your job. Better to lose your job with all its benefits than compromise your character. I'll say it again. Better to lose your job with all the benefits that it has than to compromise your character. There's lots of jobs out there, folks. You lose your character, you'll have, lose your character for the rest of your life. Your name, your testimony is the most important thing about you. We men need to stand up, stand up for Jesus and quit compromising just because the pay is better, just because it's easy to go with the flow. It's easy to go along with everybody, what everybody says because you don't want to stand out, be different. But you know what? That's exactly what Daniel did, didn't he? He stood out when everybody was praying to their God for three, day, three times a day. He prayed to his God. And he did what's right. And it cost him the fact that he was going to be thrown into the lion's den. But he chose to do what's right. When you choose to do right what's right, it's not going to be popular. When you choose to do right what's right, other people might not like you. In fact, they may plot against you. But dear friend, as Bob Jones Sr. said, do right till the stars fall. Choose to do right. Though it's not popular. Though your enemies plot against you. You choose to do right. Because you got people, you have a wife and daughter and others looking at you as an example of a believer. Joseph was a man of simple courage. He had a decision that he had to make. And he had devotion that he had. The Bible says he took unto him his wife. Even though this child that was of the Holy Spirit would not be his The Bible says in verse 16, the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus this child would be of his mother, not the father. It would be her, Joseph would be her husband, but the child would not be, the, Jesus would not be his father. I mean, Joseph would not be the father of Jesus. This baby would conceive of the Holy Ghost, not of Joseph. It would be her firstborn, not his firstborn. You know what he had to do? He had to humble himself. I'm sure Joseph had plans to marry, to marry Mary. <laughs> And to have a child and have children together. And they eventually did, no matter what the Catholic Church may say. They did have children together after Jesus was born. 
but I'm sure he dreamed of having this first child. He had to humble himself because Joseph knew he had a role to play in this situation. And men, you have a role to play in your family. You know, every, every man and every woman, every person in the family has different characteristics. You know, I recognize sometimes, man, my wife's better at me in a lot of different areas. And I just say, hey, you, you, you do that. And then God has given me ability to, to be better in some areas, and I, I do that. And understanding, living with your wife and your family according to knowledge, that was, that's what sets you apart. That's what makes your life and your family special. But knowing the strengths and weaknesses the man doesn't have to be a barbarian and walk in the room and beat his chest and say, I'm Conan the Barbarian. And if you have to do that, friend, you're really not a man at all. No different. You don't have to lead like that. You lead by example. You must be tough, yes, but sometimes you have to be tender. Sometimes you have to say no, and you have to be wise and know when to say yes. You have to be both. Ultimately, sometime between the time when Jesus was 12 the time Jesus was 30, Joseph passed away. We don't have a whole lot, of, whole lot of words from the Word of God that talks about his life after Jesus was 12, but we believe that Joseph lived a godly life. See, he didn't have to say a whole lot. He lived it. He lived it. My wife and I, the last couple nights, watched a documentary on the life of George Washington. The greatest American, even to this day, I believe, is George Washington. He was in a day where you had men like John Adams and Jefferson and Madison, but all of these men were great and greatly used. We see, if it wasn't for George Washington, we wouldn't be here today because he was a man of great courage. He was a man of great conviction. He was a man of great character. We watched this hour and a half documentary produced by the Gingrich's great documentary, and I would recommend it highly to anyone. It talked about his life and how he humbly accepted the fact that he was going to be the general of the Continental Army. There was no Navy back in those days. He was head of the Army. He led these men. I knew, I knew you'd say amen, Brother Eric. <laughs> he led these men first, nearly 10,000 men. But they got defeated over and over and over and over again. He lost more battles than he actually won, if you read the history books. But he had something that most of us don't have anymore. It's called stick-to-itness. Stick-to-itness. Persistence. Character. You see, he knew he was going to lose some battles because his army wasn't as well organized as the British. His, his army wasn't as good in combat as the British. His army didn't have the supplies as the British. They just weren't as good as the British. So he lost some battles. But he knew one thing. If I could outlast them because I am in our land, the British had to bring people from their land to here. And if I can just win enough battles and outlast them, we will win the war. And that's exactly what happened. Now, there was times where he was tried and he almost wanted to give up. He lost a battle right before, I think it was December 25th, 19, 1775. But on Christmas Day, 1775, I believe it was, he decided he was going to cross the Delaware River. How many of you remember from history school 
Washington crossing the Delaware River. We see it was only supposed to take two or three hours, but that day, on that Christmas day, it was the weather was particularly bad. Snow and sleet and cold. What's supposed to take him only two or three hours across the Delaware River caught, took him, took the army nine hours to get across. And they finally got across. And they were going to go and fight this group of mercenaries from Germany. The Hessians, I believe they were. He was going to sneak attack him. The men in his army dwindled down to 2,500. Most of his men had deserted him because of lack of food, lack of provisions, because they kept getting defeated. They decided to go home. The army was so bad of shape, they said they could follow the army because of the blood on the snow. Most of the men didn't even have shoes to wear. They didn't even have shoes on their feet. Yet they followed General Washington to attack this campground. The commander of the Hessians thought to himself, I'm not going to put a whole lot of guards out there. Nobody's going nobody's to come and attack us in this weather. But he did. And the next morning, early in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, Washington attacked them and defeated them. And that was one of the turning port points in the entire war. How did he do it? Character. In the end of that eight and nine year war, he resigned. He went to Maryland and he said, I'm turning in my papers. I'm resigning. When most men at that stage could have been king. He could have been ruler of the entire country. He humbled himself and said, I'm turning in my resignation papers. I'm going to live as a common citizen with my wife. And he did. At that point, the king of England said, George Washington is the greatest man on the earth. Because he was willing to humble himself when he could have taken the reins and being head of an entire country. Now we know from history, ultimately he did become the president and he only served two terms, even though he could have served many more. But dear friends, we are here today. You're sitting in those chairs we're enjoying this air condition. We're preaching from this Bible because of the character of men like George Washington. You see, friends, if we ever, ever needed good and godly men today, we're in need of today. We're in need of men who have great conviction to stand up and do what's right. When it's not popular, when others don't think it's right, when you got friends and family who laugh at you and scorn at you, for doing what's right, you choose to do right. You're men of great conviction. We need men of character. Church, once again, what you do when nobody else is watching, you stick with the stuff. And you're a man of courage. All fears may come. Foes assail you. Might be frightful. Maybe not know which way to go. But you choose to have faith and trust in God Believing in his word and in his way and in his will. You stick to it. My friend, I'm going to ask you, men, are you a man of conviction? Are you a man of character? Are you a man of courage? I know I'm preaching specifically to the men, but it's for all of us as Christians to be people, to be believers of conviction, men and women of character, and men and women of courage. 
Thank God for you ladies. For if it wasn't for you ladies, the church would fold up today. And that's the truth. You're, you're, thank you. But we need more men. We need some more godly men. May God help us to pray and train and strengthen and be godly men. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for all that you've done for us. What a wonderful example you are and all that you've given to us and all that you've allowed us to do in our life. The many gifts and blessings you bestowed upon us. Lord, I pray, God, if it be one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ, help us to see our need before it is too late. Help us to realize that there's only hope is not in, not in money, is not in things, is not in stuff. Our only hope in life is Jesus Christ, who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. With head bowed, eyes closed. The Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die and after this the judgment. Dear friend, whoever you are, listening to the sound of my voice, one of these days you're going to stand before God. He's either going to say to you, enter now into the joy of the Lord. Or he's going to say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Which words are he going to say to you? He's going to accept you because you've accepted him. You placed your faith in him. You recognize the fact that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself. You placed your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus Christ alone, who himself died on the tree, shedding his blood, providing a way of salvation for you today. Oh, dear friend, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That you, do you know the day that you're saved? Do you have any doubt in your mind that you might miss heaven? that you're placing your faith and trust in something else or someone else. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I'm not sure about my salvation. I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all? I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I really want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure. God forbid I died today, I'd go to heaven. But I want to go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all I could pray for? I won't point you out, but I'd love to pray for you. Or someone here today say, Preacher, something that you said, maybe something the Holy Spirit said to you, spoke to me. Maybe about courage, maybe about character, maybe about, about uh, uh, being uh, someone with convictions. Maybe some other area the Holy Spirit spoke to you about. But you can say this morning, God spoke to me in a specific way and I need to obey Him. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that this morning? Amen.